All right. Hey, what's up, FMBA Nation? This is Bill Brower. And in this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with a nuclear physicist. His name is Dr. Graham Peasley. He is a nuclear physicist at the University of Notre Dame. And we had an interesting conversation about a very serious topic. Uh, the topic is surrounding cancer in the fire service. We all know the epidemic that plagues us and that cancer is the number one leading cause of line of duty deaths. And we talked about these forever chemicals, also known as PFAS, that are being used in our turnout gear or have been used in our turnout gear uh, to waterproof them. Um, very interesting and lengthy conversation with Dr. Peasley. He is a wealth of knowledge and the head researcher when it comes to talking about these chemicals and how they're used in, in fire gear and what the effects are of these chemicals and how it translates to cancer in firefighters across the country. So I urge you to listen to this conversation in length and in depth and to come away with some kind of awareness about what it is that we're dealing with and hopefully we can minimize our risk. So please have a listen. Thank you for supporting FMBA Nation and be safe. All right, hey, what's up FMBA Nation? This is Bill Brower. We are live from the Surpro Studios here in Raleigh, New Jersey. I've got the honor and privilege to be joined by Professor Graham Peasley, who is a professor of experimental nuclear physics at the University of Notre Dame and Professor Peasley has devoted 20 years of his career to fundamental physics research and teaching. But in 2005, at a lake near his home was found to be, a lake near his home was found to be contaminated with chemicals from flame retardants. Uh, he began researching the prevalence of toxic chemicals and was thrust into a merger of science and policy of chemicals and human health. Uh, Professor Peasley, first off, is it Dr. Peasley or Professor Peasley? Uh, either will work, I'm just Dr. Peasley is fine. He was Dr. Peasley then. Um, so, uh, Dr. Peasley, first and foremost, thank you so much for, for joining me and having this conversation. Um, your research has been uh, very well documented and uh, appears in my eyes to be somewhat of a pioneering research uh, when it comes to this, uh, what I consider to be epidemic of the fire service, which is cancer in the fire service. And uh, you've, shined, you, you've shown a lot of light on, on some of these issues and, and how our uh, brave are, are getting sick and, and where the things are being contaminated from. So first and foremost, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Bill. It's, uh, it's us who deserve to or need to say that thank you for your service. And I think that the firefighters don't get enough respect for what they have done. And uh, not being a firefighter myself, I'm an interloper here. I am trying to do something that I think will help them as in general. So I, I'm not paid by anybody to do this. I'm doing this as an independent study, but I think it's important for, as you said, the epidemic of cancer that's hitting the fire services. And uh, we need to look at it with everything we can. It's quite remarkable to hear you say that. Um, you know, as, as we've touched on, uh, cancer in the fire service has become to uh, be more prevalent, a prevalent conversation where in the past, um, and I think it's a generational thing as well. Um, it, it has not been discussed or, or maybe wasn't a focal point uh, for the fire service. Um, and now with the uh, toxins that we come into contact with, which we'll touch on here in a little bit um, from our gear, with the toxins that we are exposed to from the materials in homes that are burning at higher uh, temperatures and, and more uh, toxic products of combustion, um, and, and, and just, I guess, the way that we have always done things in the fire service, right, as far as wearing PPE and, uh, you know, just uh, the, the, the culture of the fire service um, has been slow to a change and, and adapt to these things. Um, where, where has your research or, or what compelled you um, to begin researching these uh, chemicals and, and how they um, affect firefighters? So my interest in the chemical end of it has been around for a while. And I did get interested in flame retardants fairly early, uh, but I hadn't thought of that in, per, in terms of the fire services. 
My journey into the fire services began with Diane Cotta, uh, a spouse of a Worcester firefighter who had been diagnosed with cancer. And she was, uh, you know, was, uh, had a wonderful career and took a lieutenant's exam and the next week was diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer that put him on disability. And that's unfortunate. I, I'm very happy to report that he's alive and a cancer survivor, but it's, uh, it's a terrible thing to be at a young age to lose your career, or in many cases, some of the firefighters are losing their lives. And that's that I wasn't aware of at the at the but the statistics speak for themselves. Um, and I can't address all cancers, of course. I don't. I'm not a cancer expert, but I do know that uh, we are, as you said, living in a soup of more and more chemicals. And one of the chemicals we're very concerned with are PFAS, per and polyfluorinated alkyl substances. And that is something that my lab has studied for five or six years now. And we we look where it goes and where it comes from. And uh, Diane Carter had written to me and said nobody would. Would listen, but she's convinced that her husband's gear, the gear that all the firefighters wear, is made with this material in it. And it could be. It's it's a water resistance uh, that it, pr it provides water resistance to textiles and to papers. And so we we knew it. It was used in some textiles, uh, but I had never tested gear before. And I said, well, can you send me a, a piece of your husband's gear and be happy to tell you whether it's in there or not? And uh, she was just delighted that somebody took her seriously enough to to listen. And uh, it began a two years study of, of, you know, okay, her gear was the most heavily fluorinated thing I'd seen in terms of a textile. And I was like, okay, this has got a lot of fluorine in it. Um, we need to identify which PFAS they are. I had to set up some collaborations with a, a private lab to do that. And so we, we discussed getting more samples of the gear and she was able to get a, a cohort of firefighters that help each other out. And they had some old gear and some new gear and they sent me samples. Um, uh, and we looked at about 30 to 40, I guess 40 sets of gear eventually of types. We, we focused on the pants and the, and the jackets. Um, we didn't do the hoodies, we didn't do the gloves and things like that because we figured that this is the primary gear. That's where we found a lot of the, of the, the chemicals. And uh, it was surprisingly consistent. And I realized later there's this organization called an FPA that has a standard of 1971 that requires all the gear to be very uniform and very protective. And, and it is, it's good protective gear in a fire. And it's, it's got fire safety credentials and it's been tested, um, but it's being made with a, with in, in two of the three layers that we looked at, it was being made with a fluoropolymer and then uh, additional um, chemicals came along with that. So these are, these are PFAS that are being used to make the gear safe uh, and the reason it's making the reason it's being applied is it's waterproofing it makes the gear waterproof and there's a good reason for that because if you're uh, using hoses and and uh, it getting wet the, the the wet textiles will weigh a lot more than the dry textile and so you want to save that weight that water weight's uh, deadly of course after you <laughs> you know better than everybody of going up and down uh, extreme conditions with a lot of extra weight would cut your uh, time down on, on scene a lot if you were getting that so you need a waterproofing agent and that's been known since day one uh, and somebody came up with the idea of using the best waterproofing agent ever which is these PFAS which will separate the gear from and it keeps it dry longer than anything else um, so functionally it's very good uh, but now that we know a lot more about PFAS we know that it is also a toxin and uh, I, the research has exploded in the last 15 years to show that it's, it's a toxin in, in many different ways it's it's a direct related to a couple of cancers it's related to uh, um, uh, several other diseases, hypertension. That's not a good thing in a firefighter. Uh, it's also got some autoimmune disease. It's it attacks the immune system. And that's the insidious one for my, my reckoning that this, this cocktail of chemicals, uh, all of them are persistent. Uh, they're called the forever chemicals. They last for a long time in the environment. Uh, we're getting most of our exposure, uh, even not from work-related things. We're getting most of our exposure from communities that have drinking water problems. Uh, some of this has gotten in the drinking water. Now, of course, we know that firefighters are exposed to it because it's the primary ingredient in AFFF, uh, aqueous foam forming foams, class B foams. And so that's where we think most firefighters have been exposed to AFFF because when there's an incident and that foam is laid down, uh, until very recently, it was all fluorinated foam and it was released to the environment. It was not a hazmat incident when you used it, it was washed down the drain and then it got into the, the water supplies of municipal cities or um, well water. And if you drink some of that, this is this is the scary part. Of course, uh, the firefighters are protecting the community, and perhaps in some cases, in training with this foam or using the foam, they can they contaminated uh, the areas in which they live or the, that they serve.
All right, let me ask you a question. Are you like me and need a cup of coffee in the morning to get your day off to a good start? How about an afternoon cup of bean at the station? We all know that shift work is brutal to our sleep cycles and that we could use a cup of joe to give us that push through the shift. That's where our friends from Fire Department Coffee come in. Whether you're a firefighter, an EMT, or dispatcher, do yourself a favor and try them out. We have a special offer for our listeners and supporters. Go to firedepartmentcoffee.com, that's F-I-R-E-D-E-P-T-C-O-F-F-E-E.com, and use promo code FMBA on your next purchase for 15% off. In addition, for every purchase made using promo code FMBA, Fire Department Coffee will donate 15% of the sale to our Mark Virag Memorial Cancer Fund. These guys are great people and are career firefighters themselves just trying to make really good coffee to help us get through our next shift. So go buy some today and don't forget to use promo code FMBA. It happened in Madison, Wisconsin, very starkly. The firefighters had a, a two-transformer fire. It was, I guess, a lightning storm that set off a couple of these um, oil-filled, um, the nasty ones up on the up on the up on the pole, had caught on fire. And the Madison Fire Department responded and and put them both out. It was, a, I think, a three-alarm fire or something like that. So they had several companies there putting these things out. They did it in a safe manner. Nobody was hurt, um, and they were very proud of that. And then the following week, there was a set of stories about all that foam they used got into the local lake. And that's the lake where people fished. And so they got on the wrong end of a bunch of news stories about contaminating a lake when all they did was their job. And the fire chief was you know, blindsided by this. He did a very remarkable job, though. He, he took it on uh, straight on and said, OK, we won't use this foam anymore. Uh, find me one. That, um, and he went and bought what he thought was a fluorine-free foam and uh, said he was going to switch his company, even though he had no money to do so. He lost about $40,000 of foam that he had in the, in the equipment, and then he bought $40,000 of new foam that was fluorine-free. And then somebody asked him, how does he know it's fluorine-free? And that was the night I got a very panicked phone call from a fire chief asking if, <laughs> if I could test his foam really quickly. And uh, it was good, because that's the service we can provide. We looked at it and said, yeah, all three of the ones he had tested were, were indeed fluorine-free. The, the companies do make it, um, but only recently. It's only been in the last few years. And that was an example where uh, a, a release of it got into the environment. And the fire chief owned up to it and said, okay, we didn't know, nobody told us, uh, which was true. And the foam, the foam manufacturers certainly hadn't told anybody that. Um, and so now there's a huge shift to get away from the foam. Everybody who has elevated blood, uh, PFAS in their blood is often related to this foam release into the environment. And thus it makes sense that firefighters' blood is elevated. This could be one of the causes, but not the only one, obviously. You guys, you guys have burning buildings to contend with and things like that. So there are often combustion products, which are very deadly. And so we'll never be able to prove which cancer comes from what cause, but these PFAS were known to be an exposure risk for firefighters to begin with. But what wasn't known, and Diana insisted, was that these clothing was also made with PFAS. She had found it in the manufacturer record somewhere, and nobody would, nobody would accept it. They all said, no, it's not true. The manufacturers deny it. Um, but you know the, the turnout gear manufacturers are trying to make safe gear. They don't want any alarm about the gear they make. And they didn't know themselves what was being used. They just bought this material from a textile manufacturer and the textile manufacturer bought the chemicals from the chemical company. So there are several orders removed from where the original chemical came with. I think the uh, textile manufacturers are just trying to make good gear. They certainly don't want to be involved in something that's hazardous for the, for the firefighter. Uh, but they didn't do due diligence to ask what this material was. Um, and I think that's the issue that we need to sort of look and say, uh, I, you know, certainly the take-home message is you still have to keep wearing the gear, but be aware that the gear has these chemicals, the same chemicals that we tried to, we just banned from uh, Class B foams, and that most most of the states in the union are now switching away from Class B foams in, in, in a hurry because there's, you know, litigation and things that can follow. But more importantly, for, I think for the firefighter health, you really don't want to use that foam if there are fluorine-free alternatives. And, you know, a few years ago, people would have said there's no other foam that could work as well as a Class B foam. And now after several, you know, it's been almost a decade of hard research by some companies um, and, and led, of course, in Europe because they had a tight regulation that we did. Um, these, these companies have made foams that are fluorine free and they seem to be pretty effective. I can't judge to whether they put out the can of heptane in 75 seconds, whatever it is, but they, they have performed well on the tests that they've done in standardized tests uh, the NFPA have conducted. So there are some certified fluorine free foams. And uh, then I received this email us describing our husband's gear and I tested it. 
And I was shocked to find out that it has all the same chemicals that we were looking to avoid in the foam. Uh, it, they just in different concentrations, but they're applied to your skin and you wear them. Um, that in itself is okay if it keeps you safe. It keeps you safe at 300 degrees for a certain period of time. That's pretty remarkable for textile. Um, but the question is, you're not being told that these are there. And so we see lots of unfortunate uses of, and this is just getting to the fire services now, where people were wearing the gear between calls. And if I had told you that there had been a toxin related to cancer, toxin related to immune diseases, or related to other diseases, would you wear the gear when you didn't need to? Well, it saved a couple of minutes of taking on or off in a busy metropolitan area, but it wasn't, um, those, those are things where you may not have decided to, you know, wash the gear with your, with your home gear. Uh, some, in some cases, the volunteers were taking this, this, this gear home and washing it with their kids' clothes. In other cases, the kids were playing with the gear uh, and, you know, kept in the trunk of the car because they worked two jobs and, you know, the kids were wearing it on Halloween. Um, or making, it was an unfortunate case where somebody was making, uh, for the uh, Benevolent Association, they were making purses out of this gear after it was the end of use, end of life. And, um, you know, I'm thinking that's not where you want to put a toxic chemical. And so my argument from day one was, well, can we reduce the use of it or can we alter it until we can get gear that made, which doesn't have this PFAS chemical in it? You can make waterproofing from all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be made with these chemicals. It may be you know, not quite as good at being waterproof, but it'll be, you know, 95% as good uh, with a with a, a silicone base or some other type of, of water, water protection. And it will work just as well. In fact, a company now has made it. And they they, they read the tea leaves early and they, they'd seen the social media posts of you know, the outrage that Diane and her husband felt that they had been lied to that, they, you know, there's nothing on the, there's nothing but safe, safe, safe. And even if it was there, it's such a small amount, that it couldn't be hazardous. And our paper studied all these materials and said, yes, it's there. And it, it does come off. We observed hand to garment to hand transfer in my lab. The students were holding the gear and they were very excited to get fire gear too. There, there's like kids in the candy store. And then they noticed that it came off on their gloves <clears throat> and they could measure the flooring transfer. And, you know, I don't know a firefighter who wears gloves to put on his gear. I mean, it's, it's not what you've been told to watch out for. And so there's going to be accidental uh, uh, garment to hand transfer. And if it's on your skin, it'll get on your skin as well. We don't know if it goes through the skin. Um, most your skin is a pretty good protective layer against most chemicals. And these chemicals shouldn't go through the, the skin well. But if I had to bet on a chemical class that would go through sweat pores, um, would the world's best surfactant be one of those things? Well, it's got some points in its favor. And so I'm worried that this might have a dermal absorption component. Um, but even if it doesn't, uh, the fact that there's so much dust, we found dust in the uh, fire stations that was full of fluorine that was related to these PFAS. And it was related to the textile PFAS, not the, not the, uh, the gear in the, the equipment bay uh, AFFF. And they looked at 15 municipal fire stations and consistently the living areas and the uh, textile gear storage lockers were the areas where the dust was highest in flu these fluorinated chemicals. And so we know it comes off in the dust. And nowadays, everybody washes their hands to several times a day because of COVID. But uh, could there have been for years, uh, firefighters wore these clothing for decades, could they have been exposed accidentally to more than they should have? And my guess is that probably it represents, our paper said it represents a potential exposure source. We can't, I'm not an exposure scientist. I haven't done the calculations to say how much is getting in. And people are quick to say, oh, it's not very much, not very much. Well, it's a lot of material in the part per million levels of being transferred. Um, and that material doesn't all get into you, we hope, uh, but we don't know. And so until those dermal absorption studies come out, and people are trying to do that now, I just wanted to say that this is a risk. Are there things we can do in the meantime to mitigate it? And the first thing was to get an alternative gear available. And uh, not one, but now all the gear manufacturers have switched to, oh, we're making it. Uh, and that's good. I, it's a, where a, a paper can drive policy a little bit. And the union got behind it. AFF uh, didn't want to hear this news either. They've got lots of other things to worry about. But this was, this was alarming. And it was peer-reviewed. And they commissioned a second study just to make sure, which is what you do with science. If you have a result, yeah, you publish it so that other people can follow it. And they've, they've reproduced my data. And they've also done a whole bunch more. And they've actually uh, looked, they had money, so they looked at a, a study that was um, quite a bit more extensive than mine, and it's found even higher levels than I had found in much of the gear. And this is concerning because we haven't gotten rid of all the fluorine yet, we've only gotten rid of the outer shell fluorine. So the inner layer is also comes with fluorine, and uh, it's thought to be safe, 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 
that's a type of Florea PFAS that isn't uh, so um, bioaccumulated, isn't so, when you eat it, it passes, you know, if you eat Teflon tape, it passes through you, it's not good for you, but it, it's not bad in that sense. But um, the chemicals that are made with these polymers are also with it. And those are the ones that can get ingested into the blood rather readily. And those are the ones we're worried about. They are related to a bunch of known diseases. Um, and could this have been going on all the time? And you know, I my sincere hope is that this is it doesn't have a big effect on the average firefighter. My biggest fear is that we wake up one morning and realize, oh wow, we've really been poisoning the first responders with this gear, and um, it, it doesn't need to be that way. And so, uh, one of the gear manufacturers about a year ago, or a little more though, started looking at making alternative gear that was an FPA 1971 compliant. And they did. They made a beautiful outfit jacket that looks the same and functions the same, uh, smells the same, uh, and yet it's still it's still um, uh, met NFPA standards. What they couldn't do was make the inner liner, the moisture barrier, uh, which the, the, the there's a thermal liner that keeps it warm, but there's also a moisture barrier right there, which is made of Teflon. And that was put in by the manufacturers of Teflon <laughs> that thought that was a good thing to be added because it's everybody has one then. Um, and it is very waterproof, and it's absolutely true. That's a good layer. But there are other chemicals that will do that too. Polyurethane was the old thing that it replaced. Um, they can make it better nowadays, I'm sure. Uh, but they're not given the opportunity to because there's a rule that says you have to use Teflon in that inner liner because of UV light. Um, not that the inner liner of your coat ever gets exposed to sunlight, but just in case it did, it would last longer exposed to UV light. And so we're bringing out attention to to a detail like that, just meeting with the firefighters and talking with hundreds of them over the, over the course of the last few years, we've, we've discovered what the impediments are to change the gear. And now that we've gotten rid of some of them, the gear is changing. And I dare say in five to 10 years, all the replacement gear will be PFAS free or significantly freer than PFAS than they are now. And will that save lives? I'm hoping. I'm hoping that, uh, well, <laughs> I really sincerely hope that none of it gets to the firefighters, but I'm I'm wise enough to know that that's it, once you identify an exposure source that you can change, we should. And it's, you know, not that we're to alarm everybody that they're all going to get this tomorrow. No, it's, it's just to recognize that your gear is a specially designed textile to keep you safe. And it's designed to keep you safe in a fire environment, which is hard to do. And it does it very well. So you have to wear it. Um, but if we could make that gear safer to wear um, so that it wasn't shedding while you're in the station house or shedding when you're um, carrying it around, um, wouldn't that be nice? And in addition, when the gear is disposed of at end of life, this is the environmentalist in me, right? Um, there's 1.2 million firefighters that have one or two sets of gear. All that gear in 10 years will be in a landfill somewhere or sent to the training academies in Florida or uh, you know, raised and put uh, sent to Mexico. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a good present. But um, these are the types of things that it will all end up in a landfill in this country. And then we are going to end up drinking that. Uh, everybody, it'll take 30 years for these fibers to decompose. But that'll be a, a forever source of these chemicals in our landfills leaching out. And we'll all be drinking it. And so I think that this is, you know, end of life situation is another issue. Um, nobody's talked about that yet. But uh, I think the for the firefighters' uh, vested interest, it's the, it's the immediate one. What's the exposure risk? Now, yes, you do wear some gear underneath the the the, the turnout gear or the bunker gear, but it's it's one of those things that um, if you're ever going to sweat, could that provide a pathway for these materials to get into the skin or, or into the into the, through the dermis? And that's the scary part. It could, and so we'd really like to educate firefighters and say, look, this is protective gears to keep you safe, but you really don't want to live in it more than you have to. Um, and I I'm not going to devise uh, policies for firefighters. You guys know you have enough policies. You have whole books of policies, and and you guys are good at minimizing risk. You know what it is to be in a, an unsafe situation, and you minimize your risk in terms of a structure fire or something like that. So as long as you're armed with the right information, you can minimize the risk with the risk benefit in each case. And there will be policies made. Some some municipalities may be able to have enough response time that they don't need to be wearing the gear when they get there. Um, uh, for example, South Bend has done something where they carry the gear in the truck. They had been doing that already, uh, but they had never cleaned out. The, I didn't know this because I'm not operationally a firefighter, but I met with them over a, over a talk one time and they said, well, we keep all the gear in, in a bin in the, in, in the equipment. So when we arrive on scene, if it's not a fire, we don't need it. But if we need it, we have it right there. And he says, the, the bottom of the bin has never been cleaned out. It's got about an inch of dust in it. Should we, uh, should we clean that out? 
And, you know, that's a crazy answer. I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> that, you know, you don't want the dust there. And, and it, it's probably contaminated with what comes off the gear, both in terms of combustion products, but also in terms of, of all four chemicals, the PFAS. And, um, you know, I imagine there's now a policy some poor rookies vacuuming these things out every year. But I, I, it's, it's one of those things that those little things can be made by uh, operators or chiefs on the site where they, they keep their, their guys as safe as they can by making operational policies. And I, I don't want to get into that because I don't know the best operational policies, but um, it, it's something where we're trying to make the gear safer. And that's got to be good for everyone, uh, both the communities and the, the end of life situation, but also the firefighters and their, their jobs. So that's the purpose of what we're doing. It We're not trying to make everybody mad at us. Um, nobody seems to be. The firefighters were mad that they weren't told. Uh, which is understandable, um, but I don't think it was deliberate malfeasance. I think it was, you know, a little naive of the company to start to ask why these, these why these, why these textiles work so well. Um, and so now that we know that, then uh, we should be cautious about, you know, what are we replacing it with? Of course, that's a good question. And then also uh, going forward, how do we get the the decontaminant the, the gear without this toxic chemical in, into the hands of all firefighters? Uh, and you know the the volunteers are going to be out there, and they're going to be the hand-me-downs to get the last ones out. Um, they'll be wearing this material will be out there for a decade to come, and we just want to be careful to get rid of it as best we can. Yeah, it's, it's alarming. I mean, uh, not knowing for so long that these chemicals were uh, being used in the manufacturing process, the design process, and, and the engineering process of our gear uh, is is quite scary. Uh, I mean, it's gear that we wear to protect us and. Mm -hmm end of the day it could be uh what is getting a lot of our firefighters sick and i mean you made you made a lot of uh great points and and i got a couple of questions for you to kind of follow up with that sure. um, so when you were testing the gear um did you notice any correlation between the amount of this chemical and the age of the gear so the older the gear the gear uh, the more used the gear um number one and number two um you know for us, washing our gear is very important because we're eliminating those toxins that are being absorbed into our gear during the process of fire suppression and, and um, those toxins that are products of combustion, um, which also are cancer-causing agents. Um, have you noticed an increase in shedding based on the amount of times that uh, this particular gear may be washed? Does it help or hurt that chemical component? Can you uh, touch on those too? Sure, those are great questions, and those are some of the ones that everybody should be asking. I mean, the first thing we did is we we didn't have infinite numbers of sets of gears to look at, but we had some brand new ones out of the wrapper, and they were actually off a shelf from 2007 and 2008, so they had been there in, in a long time. So we were able to look at 2007 that had been used from a municipal department for 10 years, and then uh, discarded. We got some out of service gear, and we compared the same gear that was new in the package. And that was pretty eye-opening because we, yes, we did see a difference. The total amount of fluorine didn't go down much. I mean, that gear is still pretty functional after 10 years. And that's why it often stands and goes off to the academies, whatever. But the um, there was a reduction, a few percent reduction in the, in the gear. But um, especially in the outer layers, we could measure the outer layers well. And that that showed a, a market decrease of, of, you know, measurable 10% decrease or something on the outer layer. The total fluorine didn't change at all, but the, the outer layer came down some. <clears throat> we observed that, um, more importantly, the thermal barrier that was uh, outside, inside the moisture barrier was actually picking up more PFAS as it got older. And so this is what the, protects your skin from the moisture barrier. And it seemed with time, the older gear had more of it in there. And we suspected that might be due to migration. These chemicals that do come off would have stuck on the gear. And the more you wore it, the more use it got, the more it was being manipulated, the more it got put on every day, more likely that would get into the inner layers. Now, washing is a, a two-stage process, right? Um, and we've all got, uh, or most of the most of the departments in the country now have extractors on site, which is good for the for the combustion products because those are really deadly. And we don't want those anywhere nearby. So washing the gear is good for that. But where does it go? It goes down the drain pipe, right? And so when we wash off the PFAS, and it will wash off, um, it will continue to shed. And we may, be, we may be increasing it a bit. But it's important not to have it on your skin. So washing it is clearly a good thing for PFAS as well as for... So people ask, should I wash the gear before I wear it the first time? The answer is probably yes. It would, it would reduce some. But of course, that's now going into the washing machine, which is going the extractor is sending it straight down the drain pipe. 
and it's getting out the environment. So I'm now I'm telling people to put it in the environment, but it's you know safer if it's not on you, if it's if the, the free PFAS could be removed. Um, and so those are the types of things that uh, that I think um, you know a bit of a judgment call as to what to do. But my guess is that it's wise to wash the gear as as specified by the manufacturers. They know how to get it clean without destroying its functionality. And uh, that you know, um, good care of the material is still important. But now the people that take care of it, the, the equipment uh, specialists in the, each of the, each of the uh, divisions that you have, I mean, those guys are now handling more sets of gear than anybody else. And so I've been working with one of those guys, and and it's you know he's really annoyed that they didn't tell him this stuff was on there because he had been working in uh, these the independent providers that that come up with this gear and and, and uh, keep it functional. For years to come they they handle the gear every day and nobody tells them anything um independent service providers they call they they're these companies that take gear and refurbish it for continued use um and there's a there's a lot of um there's a lot of hands that touch this gear that we don't know about and so i think that that's the that's the type of um you know unseen uh, disadvantages you get that uh we we hope that uh, you know just by putting the word out there education can do most of that and it doesn't mean you have to run the other direction. It just means you have to be a little cautious about how you do that. And, you know, this PPE specialist in the, the department I was talking about, he went and got a HEPA filter for his office and he vacuumed it very carefully. And the, you know, the vacuum filters were loaded with PFAS when he got done. So he was glad he did that. Um, and he got his blood tested, which is now an option, uh, not very not very widespread yet, but uh, it's very expensive still. But he got his, uh, he, he decided he wanted to pay for it and see what, so, you know, I'm having a cat visit here. Um, but uh, it's um, the uh... Hey guys, Bill Brower here with FMBA Nation. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about ServPro of Central Union County and Western Essex County. These guys are a trusted leader in the restoration industry. They provide 24-hour residential commercial services with highly trained restoration technicians. They're a locally owned and operated business, and they're dedicated to being faster to any size disaster with the training, equipment, and expertise to handle your restoration and cleaning needs. Some of the things that they cover are water damage restoration, fire damage restoration, mold remediation, storm damage restoration, cleaning services, and building services, to name a few. These guys understand the stress and worry that comes with a fire or water damage and the disruption it causes to your life and home or business and their goal is to help minimize the interruption to your life and quickly make it like it never even happened. Our friends over there, Carl Spinner and Bob Morrison, Carl has over 25 years of experience in the industry, Bob Morrison has over 35 years of service industry sales experience. So don't hesitate to give them a call, you can reach them at 908-233-7070. The, he wanted to be sure, and so he had his blood tested, and he's going to monitor after his cleanup of his office if it reduces. And you know, he he's not afraid of of chemicals. He's just he's if he can minimize their exposure, he's going to do so. That's a very smart choice for all of us, right? And so I think this is this is the um, this is the awareness that we need to do. And you know, you're learning a lot of stuff about cancer. Then nobody joined the fire services for cancer. They slide it. They join the fire services for a bunch of reasons, but it's to serve the community. And now we've got to learn how to mitigate all these risks for cancer, which are not just the PFAS, of course, or they're from all sorts of chemicals you get exposed to and how to safely approach fires, how to safely approach the chemicals involved and especially the combustion products. But those, um, this is one more thing to add to the list and, you know, not invited back to parties very often. It's, it's pretty doom and gloom about, oh, everything's poisonous and toxic. Uh, yeah, it's, but we can be smart about it. And, you know, it doesn't need to, we don't need to, we're not gonna be for the manufacturers of the of the of the turnout gear. Those guys just making they they buy the textiles already pre pre-treated, so that they're not putting the PFAS on themselves. They're just using it because they were told it was good. Um, and so now what we need to do is find gear that's good that is also PFAS free. And luckily, all the companies beginning to do that. Um, we need to change some regulations so that that inner liner can be PFAS free too, uh, because there's no need to keep that one. It, it, needs to be waterproof yes but it doesn't need to be waterproof with pfas despite the company that makes it 
I mean, the only companies that lose are the ones that are PFAS manufacturers. Um, and, you know, the firefighter market is not the biggest one in the world. It's just, it's just, it's important to those of us that are in, engaged with firefighters. And so I think it's, it's not going to drive even them out of business. It's just, they're trying very hard to get market share everywhere. And so I think that this is where the firefighters have done a remarkable job in terms of what the union's done. Uh, they've recognized it. They, they really didn't want to hear about one more problem. The, the firefighters are safe, but they did about 180 degree turn on their, on their initial uh, response to Diane's request for information. Uh, they, they dismissed her pretty quickly the first time, but they've now come around and uh, have apologized and said, whoops, this is a more serious issue than we thought than we knew. And they're, they're dealing with it very, very satisfactorily in my opinion. They, they have a clear policy that they don't want this and the firefighters are, are angry that they were lied to. Um, and I think that's, that's reasonable anger, but it's not, uh, I think the, the solution is moving forward is to find, find a solution that everybody's happy with and safer with. And that's what we're trying to do. And I think we're getting there. Um, it's, but you know, the, what's the analogy turning a battleship with an aircraft carrier or something? It takes a long time for an institution as large as the fire services to adopt something that everybody agrees with and then turns in that direction. Um, it's gonna take years, uh, but it's already made remarkable progress in the last two years. And so I think that in, in five years, this won't be the discussion we're having, oh, is it safe or unsafe? We just, <laughs> the discussion is we made it safer. Um, how soon can we get there? I think uh, I think there's a lot of multiple levels, uh, both state uh, and federally, um, to try and uh, reduce the exposures either by means of legislation, or policy changes, or uh, you know new uh, chemicals or, or techniques or products to, to to accomplish the same goal that the gear is is uh, set to provide us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the clean cab concept has been something that uh, has become a very prevalent discussion over the past couple of years. Um, have you done any testing as far as the transfer of the EFAS uh, chemical to other materials? Is there one, or, uh, one material more than others that has a greater uh, chance of transfer? Um, and, and, and where I'm going with this is, you know, our cabs are made of different materials. There's some leather in there. Our wear uh, can be made of Nomex. Some uh, some departments allow for 100% cotton. Um, you know, there's different types of materials that are worn underneath this gear that come into contact this gear. Have you seen a correlation between the uh, increase or decrease depending on what type of material is being transferred to? No, that's an excellent question. And the answer is I haven't looked. Um, we, we, uh, I know the clean cab concept and that's a great one. It's to reduce the combustion products exposure. Um, and the idea that if you don't decon properly, you'll get the contaminated products everywhere. And there's this wonderful set of videos that the San Francisco fire department did that of uh, a firefighter covered with foam, uh, shaving foam in that case. And they watched the shaving foam go everywhere when she didn't decon properly. And it goes in her hair, it goes in her food, it goes on and absolutely everything you touch. And I thought that was an eye-opening video just to train people, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're going to wear the gear, you might as well wash it afterwards or else you're going to, you might as well just not wear the gear. That's not what they said, but it, it gave this, this alarm that, you know, we have to, we have to decon it properly. And this clean cab concept is if everybody's going to sit in the combustion products when they get home, um, you know, that's, that's not going to, that's not going to, that's not going to, that defeats the purpose of staying so insulated from them while you're on scene. And I, I think that's a great analogy. Um, we will certainly have some of the stuff rub off with just use and sunlight exposure and water exposure. Some of this PFAS will come off on whatever you touch. And if you're sitting in an upholstered seat, a leather seat, or a, a, a fabric covered seat, that will come off certainly. I don't know the extent. I don't know if some is better than others. Um, it would be a great study to do. Um, I think that whatever it does, um, the clean cab is one way you, you wash those seats periodically too to get rid of the product. And that will work for PFAS. It will put it into the wash of that and we'll put it down a drain, but at least it's not in your built environment. It'll go down the drain to the, to the, the entire environment. And we are going to look at processes that, you know, put filters on the extruders and things like that. We tried to sequester some of the, some of the PFAS and stuff like that. So I can see in future generations, there'll be more drain sieves and, and there'll be protocols perhaps where we wash the, the, the wash water is kept and not put down the drain right away or put down through a filter through the drain or something like that. So I think that, uh, yes, those are good ideas. We don't have the answers. I have not looked at different materials. I bet you you're right. I bet you it transfers at different rates. 
Um, but um, and there are there are, now that the now that the story is out and people know it's there, these are the types of studies I think lots of people could do. Um, just takes an energetic department to go ahead and you know I want to take this dust sample and that dust sample and see if there's a difference. And there are measurements that can be made. You can use a commercial lab even and just do that. Um, we we would be very interested in finding uh, policies that work for you guys that that would help uh, reduce exposure. And it's it's probably going to include lots of things. There's lots of things in that smoke that you can some you can measure some of it, but not all of it. There's all sorts of things we can't measure. Same is true with PFAS. We only detect we only measure about twenty to thirty of the the main PFAS ingredients. There's somebody just published a report saying there's nine thousand of these things out there on, on commercially. And that's, you know, I don't even know the name of 9,000 things, let alone uh, all the PFAS. Um, and so, yeah, I'm pretty good. I can know the first 100 or so. Uh, but those are the ones that we most st often study. But the, uh, I, I think the answer is that there's a lot more there that we don't see with our instrumentation. My, my technique actually looks at all fluorine. So we see, you know, 10 to 20 times higher than what's actually measured in the instruments because we're seeing these things that get out in the environment and mutate a little bit. So they're not the standard manufactured that have slight variations. And that's what's scaring because we, we look at an AFFF impacted site or we look at um, dust from a firehouse, we see a lot more fluorine than the standard chemical methods do. And it's, um, it's not that it's safe fluorine because it's unknown, it's unknown fluorine. So we don't know, we don't know how safe it is. It could be uh, several of those products decay over time into the hazardous ones. And some of them just, if you put them in your blood, your liver will turn it all into P4. That would be bad. Um, and so that's why we're trying to, um, we're trying to I, not alarm everybody, but try to say, look, we're trying to reduce our whole built environment exposure to PFAS. And since these are forever chemicals, once you get them out there, they don't go away on their own. They're, they're gonna be there for you or your successors, the next generation to drink. And I think this is where we're trying to, you know, it's a complex problem. Um, it, it certainly doesn't mean stop all business and, and do something about it, but it means that if we can make it safer now, the next generation won't have that to worry about. There'll be other things to worry about, but these are the types of chemicals that you can remove. And you know, the reason you're doing it is you look at the cancer rates and they're, they're too high to be sustainable in the fire services. You got young guys getting cancer, which shouldn't be happening. Um, and the question is, what can we do to help minimize that? And this is just one of many, uh, of, but uh, I'm happy to be associated with this because we we found out where it is and we sort of put it out there. Now there are other studies coming out that confirm it's there. And there will be studies that will see if this is leading to exposure. Um, my guess is that they'll find some. I'm hoping it's not major, but um, that's the worry. And ultimately, you know, this, this goes back to the, the point about the culture of the fire service, right? Ultimately. Mm -hmm. Raising the awareness is, uh, is is the first step, right? Making making firefighters aware that this is uh, something that they're coming to contact with, and at the end of the day, what it boils down to is how that person uh, acts or reacts to that awareness, right? What what steps do they take personally to protect themselves at every level? You know, are they um, minimizing the amount of time that they're wearing their gear. Are they washing their hands and, and deconning properly, you know, after taking off their gear? Are they maintaining the firehouse and cleaning up uh, properly to minimize and reduce the amount of carcinogens and, and these, uh, the, the dust or the, the PFAS chemicals that might uh, reside there? So, um, you know, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. I think uh, there's some, you, you said it's a complex problem. I think uh, that's that's you know kind of an understatement because when you think about the many different moving pieces involved in all this from the manufacturing companies to the policymakers to the municipalities and the budgets that they have depending on the size okay. of the department right I mean they're yep. going to do what they can and purchase what equipment they can and maybe they you know maybe they go with the cheapest set of gear that that provides some type of thermal protection to their firefighters but might have the most amount of PFOS in it, and they don't know. But what right. they we do have some we do have some good news on that end. Um, the PFAS chemicals are expensive, <laughs> and so this should make the, the so the very first manufacturer to develop this actually came out with a statement saying he wasn't going to charge anymore for going to charge the same price, which is good because you're not adding something and charging the same price. It shouldn't go up in price because this is you shouldn't be paying for safety. And they agreed not to. And I thought that was that was safety components. They made a pledge that they weren't going to raise the price because it was without this material. 
And even though they did a lot of R&D on their own, I think that was pretty impressive. And it was, it's, it's because there's no need to make a profit on safety. It's, it's, it's there to, to you know, be there. And I think that's the, the good news on this. It won't be, oh, the people that can't afford to change their gear. It will be that, you know, if you can't meet the five or 10 year rollover of gear, then um, you're going to be exposed to the older gear for longer. But in general, um, the, when the gear is available, it's not going to have a price differential between it and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's all going to be voluntary. So you have the choice of buying, do you want the toxic chemical gear or do you want the toxic chemical free gear? And that's, uh, that's good. I don't think the firefighters are going to have any issues what they want. Um, and if the price point's the same, then that won't be the driving force. And I, so far, that's been true. So I think that one's relieved. But all the other questions are absolutely right. I mean, it's, it is complex. And... Um, you know, uh, you think about how hard it was to get people to decon. I mean, it was, you didn't want to look like a rookie in the only uh, turnout gear that wasn't black and smudged. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and trying to tell a 20 year old about cancer is, is nuts. Um, <laughs> they, they don't want to listen to it. They're, they're impervious to everything. Um, but when we get people at age 30 and 40 starting to die of cancer, that's, that's too young guys. Um, and so that's why we need to we need to, um, you know, sort of educate and understand, you know, isn't a bad thing to keep the gear clean and to, you know, have somebody designated to, to vacuum the, the floors every now. Those are, those are sort of good housekeeping things that we learn from communicable diseases like COVID and stuff like that. So I think that um, any of those lessons we can can educate would be very helpful. I know we're uh, we're kind of up against the clock, but sure. I just want to ask uh, one more follow-up question and then I'll, uh, I'll let you go back because I know you're uh, very busy. You got a lot of things going on there at the university. I'm sure uh, classes are coming back from the session soon. So, um, first thing is yeah, we, have, we have final exams this week. That's the biggest concern. I'm glad I'm not there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, your your studies uh, on this topic are you uh, is you and your your team currently um, continuing it, and, and where do you see your um, your research going on this topic moving forward? Yes, we're continuing. We have published a paper this year on cosmetics, which isn't a firefighter issue, but uh, it's more general. We published a, a paper before the firefighter one on um, on uh, a, a food packaging. So the food packaging industry took the first shot across the bows and they were like, whoa, okay. And they all voluntarily moved away from it because there was an alternative available. The firefighting industry was less global. A few people were interested, but the firefighters were very interested. And more importantly, it did have an impact. The, the companies are responding and they're doing the right thing. They're, they're trying to get the gear safer now. Yeah, I think it will take time and, and a lot of policy efforts. Uh, but the, um, and the cosmetics is just beginning and their, you know, their phone is ringing a lot. We are gonna stop. We have uh, rights to go out and look at all consumer products. The firefighters has led us into the world of textiles because they are textiles that are treated. And we're looking at such things as military uniforms, um, school uniforms, Children are putting the school uniforms, right? Um, guess what they have in them? Uh, we can make a better school uniform that's stain resistant. Oh dear. Okay. And so we're just about to publish a paper on the school uniforms. Uh, we are going to look at uh, flight attendant uniforms. There's a lot, all sorts of issues with those. They add flame retardants to those. And I'll give you a, a, a just in case you think firefighters are the only ones that are, are being, but firefighters discovered it first. But um, can you imagine wearing a skirt in a plane at 30,000 feet? And then putting a firefighting repellent in it, in addition to uh, Scotch Guard, in addition to uh, PFAS or things like that, in addition to uh, antimicrobials, so you don't smell. And then you, you know, if there's going to be a gasoline engulfed fire, that's not going to do anything except to make the smoke toxic, and it just exposes the flight attendants to a, a soup of materials up there. So I mean, there are examples in other industries that I think are very important, and that we will try to. Uh, try to bring light to and again we're not being paid by anybody to do this in fact several people would like us to go away but it's it's one of those things that uh, i think it's important for the the consumer and in this case the fire services to understand what they've got once they realize what they've got they made very quickly um a noise about it and things changed and that i'm very proud of i'm, I'm happy that the fire services uh responded positively and that they you know, I've got a lot of firefighter friends now that I don't know personally, but uh, it's in, it's important that we do the right thing and, and help the help the first responders in, in this in this way. You guys got enough other things going on. You don't need you don't need chemicals uh, being the last thing you want to deal with. So this is this is where we can make a contribution and, and say thanks for your service. This is what we're trying to do. 
Um, and I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out. But it's uh, you know it takes just years to get there in just a single study. Imagine if we had to do a study on all 9,000 chemicals of this one class of chemicals. It's never going to come back in 10,000 years. We'll tell you how it came out. It's just it's just absolutely nuts that we can allow these chemicals to be there. Um, you know, and so we're working on that at, at, the, at all levels. And we get enough of these example after example where we're putting it into our own, into our own communities uh, that people will begin to respond and it'll happen. Um, it may, you know, might be fear of lawsuits more than government regulation, but one thing or the other will, will help drive this thing away from where the soup we're in right now. I'm being, uh, I'm being joined by our uh, president of the NJF MBA here, Eddie Donnelly, who uh, I mentioned before his son is uh, currently studying uh, to become a priest at the University of Notre Dame and is an alumni uh, there as well. So uh, he wanted to stop it and just give you a wave hi. Hey, congratulations. He's paying a lot of tuition then. That's good. Hey, congratulations. You've paid a lot of tuition, I would imagine. Yes, I did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> No, it's it's an honor, and uh, I'm happy that I'm happy that you guys are putting this on, and, and I think this is a, a good word to get out. I'll be happy to take questions. You have my email. You're welcome to share it, and um, that you're you are you know uh, firefighters ask me questions all the time, and I try to respond as best I can. Um, and you know, I don't I don't have the answer for what procedurally to do, but I I can certainly tell you, yeah, it's everybody's gear, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, there's things that have been said about the gear in the past haven't always been entirely accurate but you can you can sort of take it from now on that they're they're going to be a lot more honest about this particular chemical and i think that's a that's a good thing yeah well i can tell you dr peasley the entire fire service is indebted to you and your team for the research that you performed and again it's going to boil down to the individual level and let's see what actions are taken after you guys have worked so hard to raise this awareness. So I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule and your day to, to discuss this topic. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Bill. This is, this is uh, much appreciated. So uh, thanks. And uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to follow up. Sounds good. Thanks, Doc. You have a great rest of your day and enjoy uh, your holidays. Thank you. You too. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up another great episode from FMBA Nation. Thanks for listening to it. And if you don't already, make sure that you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to this podcast on any of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. And if you have an Alexa-enabled device and enabled the TuneIn skill, you can say, Alexa, play FMBA Nation podcast on TuneIn Radio. And if you're interested in being a sponsor of the podcast or would like to be featured on the FMBA Nation podcast where you can talk about your products and or services that you have to offer, be sure to email us at nation at njfmba.org. And until next time, be safe.